I do this podcast for many reasons. Number one, it's a positive time killer while I'm out on the road touring. It keeps me busy, keeps me creative and in a non-musical way, which I enjoy. Number two, it gives me a good excuse to stay in touch with friends and have them come on the podcast to shoot the shit and hang out. And number three, it gives me a reason, an excuse to meet people that I might not have had any reason to meet other than me being a fan of theirs and getting to talk or hang out with them for 30 minutes, an hour, two hours. There have been past episodes with Henry Rollins, Caton DePena, Scott Thompson, and Lydia Chris, who I didn't know personally before the recording started, but after the talk was so glad to have gone through the experience of introducing myself and being given a platform to fanboy out on them. However, this episode, even though it's with someone I admire, is somewhat different from all that. And why wouldn't it be? It's with Harley Flanagan, one of a kind, a man who is synonymous with New York hardcore. I have been listening to his band, The Cro-Mags, since I was a teenager. Their album, Age of Quarrel, struck a nerve with a lot of people when it came out, me included. It wasn't your ordinary record. It had the uncanny ability to cross genres, mix with different scenes, and reverberate with people from both the underground and the mainstream with cred intact. A feat few bands have been able to achieve unscathed by criticism. Even though it's been 31 years since its release, it has not diminished with age, but rather managed to garner even more fans. Upon first glance, when I would see photos of Harley during the Age of Quarrel days, he struck me as a very intense dude. He oozed danger. He oozed anger and rage, something that I could immediately identify with and connected with. When I read his autobiography, Hardcore, A Life of My Own, it confirmed all my suspicions about him. And then when I finally met him just recently to do this podcast, it was like nothing else. Intense? Yes, of course, but also gracious, welcoming, and upfront. I don't think Harley does things halfway or half-assed. It's always on 10 and always worn on his sleeve. I don't think the word concession is even in his vocabulary. This episode is Harley shooting from the hip, holding nothing back, speaking from the heart. If you are unfamiliar with the Cro-Mags, unfamiliar with the almost soap opera-like history of the band, well, read Harley's book. But it must be noted here that there are serious rifts between members. And I want to clearly state that I'm not taking any sides here, really. I, along with everyone else, would simply love to see the Age of Quarrel Cro-Mags back together again, even if for a brief stint. Anyway, here is my talk with Harley Flanagan. Much like the episode with Henry Rollins, episode number 28, it's a talk with someone that runs deep with me, but any nervousness I initially had shortly fell by the wayside because Harley was so cool towards me. Here's a little glimpse as to how much of a keener I was for this to happen. I showed up to the Coalition Lounge, the club where Harley was scheduled to play, really early. So early no bands were there yet. It was an amateur move. It was cold. It had rained. I was underdressed. I knew nobody there. And all this immediately made me feel like I was 15 again. A perfect setup to meet Harley. After their sound check, the two of us tried to find a quiet place to record the chat. 
and we ended up outside of the building lobby next to the club. This explains why there's a bit of background noise on this episode. It almost seems like it was purposely laid onto our talk for ambience. I find it a fitting soundtrack since it's Harley, and so much of his book takes place on the streets. I wouldn't have had the balls to try to do this podcast because I was pretty intimidated of Harley, kind of like I admired him from afar. But Harley's book, Hardcore, A Life of My Own, came out on Feral House Books. I have a book coming out on Feral House next year called I've Got Something to Say. So the Feral House connection was enough to make me grow a pair and try and see if I could wrangle Harley onto the podcast. So with that, I would like to thank Christina Ward from Feral House for hooking this up between Harley and I. Thanks, Christina. Also, supreme thanks to the people at Coalition Lounge. Harley's show was part of the Not Dead Yet Fest in Toronto, and that night the show was stacked with an incredible lineup of bands alongside Harley, from Gasm, Red Death, Fury, Witch Trial, and of course, Career Suicide. And thanks to Harley for this, and Harley's band and crew. I hope you enjoy this. This is with someone who I have been listening to and watching since I was a kid. Talking to Harley Flanagan face-to-face was surreal for me. If I could tell my awkward 15-year-old self that this would happen, I wouldn't have believed it. Thanks to Blue Mic Microphones and Skull Candy Headphones. Thanks to Chino Locos Restaurants, because when I want a fish burrito, I want it stuffed with chow mein noodles. Harley Flanagan is this episode's guest on the official Danko Jones podcast, and it starts... Now. The Tango Jones podcast is the best around. Nick Flanagan is Tango's co host. Hello for free. I'm so glad I like to sometimes. Jimmy in from Fuckdown. Stop playing. Hang down. The Danko Jones podcast is the best around. Nick Flanagan is Danko's co host. Download for free on SoundCloud and iTunes. Sometimes Damien from Fucked Up. Stops by and hangs out too. There's only one podcast to listen to in this world, and that's the Danko Jones podcast. Don't be a dick. Don't be an ass. Just listen to the Danko Jones. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, get ready because the Danko Jones podcast starts. First of all, I I just I gotta say that this is um, I've been fucking very freaking out over the possibility of meeting you and talking to you and the fact that we are kind of both gonna, I, you are on Feral House and I'm gonna be on Feral House um, just to have a connection with you in any way <laughs> being from Toronto man I, uh, I had to see when I heard that you were coming down I, I had to see if I could get you on the podcast and um, I just wanted to start and tell you that you know, from when I was a teenager, uh, looking at pictures of you, Age of Coral, listening to you, uh, and the We Got a No video, 
you shaped uh, how I approach, and I think I, not a lot of people talk about this about you. You shaped how I perform, uh, how I when I whenever I make a grimace in photo, <laughs> photo shoots, I'm trying to channel you, man, and um, you you've you've been like a, a big inspiration, also from how the Chromags were back in the day with the Krishna consciousness. I never got into Krishna, but I was around it and um, just seeing you guys looking all tough. You scared you scared me, intimidated me, but you also had this Krishna side to you. It fucking it 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 was the same thing that I thought of when I heard Minor Threat and I heard Ian Mackay's wow. lyrics. It was just like such a such a mind fuck coming from the I'm I come from the metal world. I'm a metal kid who got into you during the crossover days. So so that's that was such a mindfuck and I wasn't really into all that stuff that I would see all the metal bands get into so you guys Minor Threat Youth of Today and, and Rollins really helped me um, get confidence to just go I'm not I'm not too into this I just like the music and I like it heavy um, so just, I just want to start I just wanted to start with that man um, thank you man I'm honored I'm honored to have uh, played a part in your life uh, by being part of your soundtrack and uh sounds like uh being um you know somewhat inspirational and that that's uh that's the the to me that's one of the greatest gifts uh that you can have in life is to be able to influence other people and uh, to hopefully influence for them, them for the better you know and uh and uh you know thank you man thank you for having me on on, on your show and uh it's it's real it's it's really great to be back in toronto man i haven't been here in a long time and yeah, I was gonna uh, ask. Yeah. man it's it feels really good the the vibe is great this neighborhood is so cool and uh mm-hmm. i'm really looking forward to the show there's um uh there's a photo i had since i was 15 and it's a picture of you john and lemmy and oh, you yeah, obviously yeah, yeah, were yeah. on that tour. I think you've yeah, probably. Yeah, I think you actually. You actually posted it on Instagram. I may have. Uh, not too long ago, the I exact photo is what I had, and it's like Lemmy's like touching your your, your muscles, both of you guys' muscles. Yeah. And um, that photo, man, for me, embodied everything that I was into. Because just the fact that you guys were in a Motorhead and the whole oh, metal dude, thing. Was, Motorhead made me, you know. The, is one of the key ingredients in in what made me the bass player that I am and oh, I the way I attract uh, the way I attack the bass and the instrument I mean every I have played with a lot of people and every person I've ever played with them I've made them really understand motorhead you know if they didn't already you know because I'm like if you if you you know I, I that's always been one of my biggest uh, criticisms of hardcore bassists is that none of them understand how to attack the bass rhythmically the way the kick and snare drum interact with each other. Like, if you can't lock into that groove, you, you, you shouldn't even be playing a, a, an instrument, Yeah. you know? But, um, but yeah, man, again, thank you, man. And you know something, Lemmy, uh, he was, he's one of the few people that I've met in my life that I can really say that that's a guy that I really looked up to and, and, and still, you know, still look up to as, as a, you know, as a, a mentor and, and just such an iconic person and to have been a, a friend of his, man. It was, it's a real privilege, you know. Life, life is short and you're, you're, 
really blessed and fortunate when you meet people who have that kind of impact and and who inspire you like that you know I'm lucky I've met a lot of really cool people in, the, in this short stay on this earth you know um, we were we were able Lemmy took us out on tour in 08 so when Lemmy took us out on tour and we were doing the tour the first thing I thought of is like we're following the Chromax <laughs> that's what I felt that's what I thought and um seeing the connection he had with you guys and it wasn't about whether because back then it was all about like do you have long hair or you do, do you have do, do you have short hair do you yeah hair? yeah and lemmy didn't seem to give a shit about it he just no, cared about you know what he, he was yeah he was beyond all that man you know and uh i mean back then you know I mean, Lemmy's seen me at all different stages of life. I met him when I was a little kid before the Chromags was a band, and I remember telling him that I, I was starting, I just started the band, I think. We didn't even have a record out, and I was hanging out with him, and I was like, I got my band called the Chromags. I, I, what would it take to get on tour with you? Like, I saw their first New York show, and I got to hang out with him and Phil, and, you know, and party. And, so it's like when I first met them, I was a kid and I was out drinking with them and doing speed and, and picking up chicks and everything. And then when I met them again, I had kind of wound down my uh, madness a little bit, you know, in, in the Hare Krishna phase of my life. But I was still smoking weed back then. But, um, but meanwhile, Lemmy was totally, you know, drinking from the all day, all night and awake for days at a time. You know, I mean, we were two we were totally different type of people. But, but you know what? I, I, I'm a genuine person and no matter what the, the, what I'm doing, you know, real people can tell that you know and then again i met him years after that and yeah. when i was all relapsed and all fucked up on drugs again and then for you know fortunately i made it through all that and um yeah lemmy is awesome dude but i can't i can't okay we could talk about lemmy yeah. for this whole interview yeah. <laughs> but one of the things i wanted to talk to you about is like an angle that i was telling you earlier that uh maybe you're not you, you don't get asked a lot it's just because I'm going to be on Feral House, yeah. and you're you're on Feral House. Your book, mm -hmm. Hardcore, um, I read it last year when it came out. I, I tore through it, and then I told everyone that they have to read it. And to me, it was like, yeah, it's like, you know, a, a, not a biography that, you know, there's redemption in it, and, uh, you know, you, you, you go down to the depths, and then you rise. Yeah. But uh -huh. what really, I think, strikes everyone about it is the amount of fucking violence and yeah, the amount yeah. of stories that you have about people that you know people don't really you know hear about you know i am actually a little surprised that people have found it so violent i mean because i took a lot of fights out i took like a lot of i took a lot of violence out of the book i took a lot of drugs out of the book i took a lot of everything out because it's like you can only keep telling so many stories about this type of shit before it just gets redundant you know but um I mean, you know, the people who were around back then, they know that it, what I'm saying is true. Like, it's really funny because, like, the only people who think, he's, oh, he's exaggerating, are people who don't have a fucking clue and have no, nothing to base their, their knowledge on. I mean, when I had my first book signing in New York, it was really funny. Um, there's a gang I talk about in my book called The Hitmen. They were like the, the gang on my block when I was a kid. And these guys were, you know, literally hitmen. They killed people and they sold heroin and they, you know, were fucking no joke. 
And there was a, a short period of time where I had a contract on my head with this guy called Pigman, mm-hmm. and he's in the book. I talk about that. They yeah. they called him Pigman because he used to wear a pig's mask when he'd pull up and shoot you, or kick in your door and shoot you. Like so, he was like you know he was kind of like an urban legend, but you know. Like, everybody knew about him, but if you had ever seen him, most likely you were dead. <laughs> so, when Pigman started looking for me, like... So, anyway, I'm not going to give the story away, but at the book signing, some of the hitmen came to the book signing. You know, we're all, like, adults now, so it was like they came with beef. They just came to get a book and shit, you know? And, like, people I went to school with and, like, people from the neighborhood came... And everybody was like, yo, man, you got, you nailed it. This is exactly what, the, what it was like down here. Like, I, got, I bought this book for my friends because they don't believe me when I tell them the stories. And I'm like, no, you got to read this shit. And I, I asked one of the dudes, I'm like, so, so I never knew who Pigman was, right? Because <laughs> he was always behind the mask. I said, yo, man, I knew all the hitmen. I was like, yo, so who the fuck was Pigman? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that was Crazy Eddie. And uh, which was a brand of PCP we all used to smoke. So this one cat, Eddie, he was a big dusthead. He was Pigman. And it was really funny to finally, after all these years, put a face behind the you know, to note, put a face behind the person behind the mask. And so you knew who crazy Eddie Yeah, I knew all those motherfuckers. <laughs> they were like killers, dude. And uh, so I'm like, so what's he up to now? He's like, oh, he got an auto body shop in Brooklyn. He's got grandkids and shit, you know. And it's like some total, like, it's like somebody like... You know, Goodfellas or some shit, you know, it's like something out of a Scorsese film, you know, it's so funny, but like that, it was the life, I mean, it really was nuts, you know, so, you know, when, when people, you know, when you wonder why I, you know, why I am the way I am, you know, <laughs> read the book, you'll know why. Well, the best part about the book to me was how it was written. It's like, it, it, it reads like you're just like talking to the reader you know, it's funny because uh, I, when I first started writing it, I wanted it to really have my voice. I, because, like, I start, you know, when I first started trying to write it, I'd never written anything. And I'm not really much of an intellectual. I haven't read a lot of books and shit. And, I, you know, I dropped out of school very young. So, you know, when I first started trying to write it, every time I started, it sounded really contrived. Right, yeah, right. You know, like, you know, just, you start thinking. And once you start thinking, it already starts turning into shit. Like, you just kind of have to let it flow. Because as soon as I started thinking about what I was trying to write, I sounded like some intellectual asshole breaking it down instead of, like, it was like someone that had experienced it. that's why I was gonna ask you. Like, was there someone who, like, ghost wrote it? No, no, man. I wrote it. No, my. You know, talking. No, well, that's what I did. I mean, actually, a lot of it started from an interview that I did, and then I wound up, I wound up taking the stuff from the interview, and I started. Well, I tell you in the book. I mean, it's like I started writing in in uh, the late '90s when I was like, no, early '90s. Really. Yeah. You know, I started writing in the early 90s and, and I went through a, several different things. It was more of a diary, not, not a diary, but it was like a journal. Like, I, you know, let me put it this way. I didn't think I was going to stick around for too long the way I was living at that point. You know, I was really out of control. And um, so, you know, I figured, you know, most of the, I, I don't want to say greats because I don't want to put myself in that context, but like all the great rock and roll fuck ups 
who never got to tell their stories because they died too young or they died too unexpectedly or just, you know, they, they got hit by a bus or they OD'd, you know? And I knew I wasn't going to live forever. And I said, you know what? If I don't start writing my story down, some other asshole is going to write it when I'm done, when I'm gone, and they're going to get it all wrong. They're not going to understand why I was the way I was. They're not going to understand what drove me to be the way I was. And they're going to, it's going to be some self-serving bullshit. Like, you know, John will write another book. It'll be that asshole Harley or this is why, the, you know, whatever. Or Paris will write. And all of a sudden, it'll be someone else's story about me. And you can't really entrust someone else to, to tell your story, you know. So, and so I, that's when I really started writing. So, like, my journal and that interview start, uh, kind of meshed together. And then I, once I had that as the foundation, that's when I started writing, like, the book. That's when I knew that, okay, I'm working on a fucking book now. And eventually... I wound up getting an editor, uh, and I wound up marrying the editor. <laughs> and uh, it's but, mentioned in the yeah. like front pages. Yeah, yeah. So my wife edited it, and like, but it's all, you know, I wrote the book, and the, I mean, it would have been like, you know, a thousand pages long had she not come in and made sense out of it, because. You know, it, like I said, I took out so many fucking fight stories and so many drug stories and so many, you know, sex and drugs and rock and roll and the bullshit it just goes on and fucking on. You know, it's I'm not writing the fucking like the 12 cantos of being a fuck up. You know, it's not like, you know, it can't just go on. It's not the Mahabharat of fucking hardcore, you know. But, um, you know, but she really uh, reined it in and turned it into something that was readable because it was like a thousand pages with no commas or periods. It was like one sentence, okay, you so know. She was like yeah, she, one, yeah, you yeah. know, she's got a PhD and shit, you know. Oh, she, okay. Yeah, in literature and shit. So, okay, yeah, well, so, you know. If so there's she, anyone. Yeah, but even when she first started looking at it, she started correcting the grammar and this and that. And I was like, no, you can't do that. And, and she was like, no, but this doesn't read correctly. I'm like, yeah, but I don't give a fuck if it doesn't read correctly. Right. If someone went in and corrected Goodfellas, it would suck. This shit has to be my voice. It has to sound like me talking, or otherwise it turns into a fucking... Uh, it, it turns into a lecture. Like, I saw some fucking old white dude giving a lecture on hip-hop and graffiti. I'm like, what the fuck? To a bunch of young, like, black and Puerto Rican kids. I'm like, are you fucking joking me? This fucking nerdy old white dude is giving these fucking kids a history lesson on... Hip-hop and fucking, you know, granted, they're all probably too young to know the roots of any of it. But it's like, dude, man, you're fucking Melly Mel or somebody with some real experience to come up here and teach these kids, you know? You don't even talk like, you know, like one of them, you know what I'm saying? So, so yeah, so, and also a few publishers that I had looked to before Feral House, you know, they were all like, you know, trying to fix grammar and this and that. And, and, and you know, some of the people that I showed... Uh, I wound up going with Feral House because really they were the only people brave enough for this story. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, because they're kind of the people, they're they're, they're like, they don't care how nuts it is or how offensive or how whatever, they'll throw it out there and see what happens. I think their tagline is most dangerous publisher. you know, so, and uh, with that in mind, I said, you know what, they have a couple things that have turned into movies and shit, and so, you know, maybe this is a good place for me, and, uh, I've actually had a bunch of people who are coming at me that want to uh, turn my book into a movie, so, or do a movie that's based on the book, you know. Well, that's the thing about the book is it's got it tells two stories at the same time. It, it tells your in your voice, but it also tells the same story with all the photos that you jam pack in there. 
Well, you know, I tried to use a lot of photos because, again, it's really an unbelievable story, you know, and it, it, uh, unlike most of the hardcore heroes and so on, I can actually prove all the shit I'm saying, and a lot of the people who claim they've been around since the beginning of time are actually full of shit, and, you know, I'm not going to start, like, saying this particular person or that particular person, but a lot of, you know, New York hardcore legends are nothing more than legends. Right. You know, a lot of these people were not around when I was a kid. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of them claim they were. And, you know, really? Show me one photo with you at a Ramones gig or hanging out with Debbie Harry. Show me one fucking picture with you standing in the corner of the background of Max's. Right. You know? Not even looking cool. Just looking like a nerd who just found the place for the first time. Like, show me one fucking piece of actual proof. Not a, fo not a photo of you standing against a wall that could be any wall taken in any year. <laughs> show me a picture of you on stage rocking, motherfucker. No, no. I mean, yeah. that's why the the book is so captivating for the reader, and that's why it took it took me like five. I just tore through it. <laughs> I, I swear to God. And then I told everyone I knew who was interested, "You got to read this book." But the thing that you mentioned was you started working on it in the early '90s. It came out only last year. Yeah. Well, so did your voice? Did your writing voice change? No. I mean, yeah. As you know what? When I yes, because you know, when I first started trying to write it, I had the. Uh, what I said I was like it just sounded too yeah I was writing you know instead of just flowing and it took me a while to figure out that that was just not the fucking way to do it not for me you know that might be a good way for other people to do it that shit didn't work for me the book would have sucked you know and uh, I also you know I've I never read the other guy's book because I didn't want to know I was like, you know what, I don't want to be affected by anybody else's shit. I want to ha tell my story. If other people tell some of the same stories, you know what, they're not going to be told the same because, first of all, they're probably full of shit. They're probably lying. And, and second of all, everybody experiences and see th sees things from their own perspective, right. so it's not going to be told the same way. So, And I also thought it might be refreshing for people to hear the other side of the story uh, in, in certain areas, you know. So it's like 400 plus pages. You yeah. said that it could, it could be a thousand. It could easily been a thousand. So, so the, so the, so the, what is it? 550 yeah. so. pages that were edited out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Would that be a, like a, a sequel be, or another you know book? You, you never know. I mean, I was goof. I was joking with my wife, and I was like, my follow-up book is going to be called Things I Left Out. <laughs> you know? That's just it. It's like, yeah, like when it was done, I was like, so that's it. Like well, I, you know, really I mean, I want to. I, mean, I want really some more stories of crazy. Yeah, well, uh, hopefully the the next book won't have too many crazy stories, except for the ones I tell from back then, you know, because my life is really, really great, man. I mean, you know, of course, you know, everybody's got their uh, things that happen that suck, but you know, I gotta say, my, I, I'm really happier than I've ever been. You know, um, I'm. Um, more at peace with myself and and the world around me than I've ever been, you know. I did I did want to ask you about the Feral House. So when the when the book came out, did you do like a lot of uh, promotional events for it? This is just strictly. Uh, no, I really didn't. I I, I I really I have only done. I did one book signing in New York. I did one in L.A. and I'm doing one in Rome. 
<laughs> That's it. You know, my band's called Hardcore. The book's called Hardcore. I figure every time we do a gig, it's a, 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 we're doing promotion for the book. You know, I actually had like I sold like almost three boxes of books yesterday. I only have like five fucking books left. I, I met the, I brought a bunch of books that I was bringing to Canada, and I fucking sold them all yesterday, dude. I sold, I, bro. I sold seven hundred dollars worth of books in fucking like an hour, man. So what does that say? Either. The book needs to get out more. There needs to be a third printing, or uh, you know what? I think just a lot of people were excited to buy it from me and get it signed and shit. You know, because I was doing the merch table. You know, it's like you know, I like to, I like to meet the people at the show and then let people, you know, see what I'm really like. And you know, I want to sit in the fucking dressing room all night. You know, <laughs> but um, it's it's an interesting thing now that you've done. You've put something out as an author, and you're so used to putting records out. Mm-hmm. Was there what, what? What's the difference between putting out a book to putting out a record? The one thing that struck me quickly was it's fucking slow. Like when I when Adam said, "Hey, we're gonna put out your book," I thought I thought the book was coming out in three months, man. <laughs> yeah, how much we how how little we know and how much we learn. <laughs> it's mine's not coming out till spring of next year. Yeah, yeah, it takes some time, man. But you know what? So what? You know, actually, it's funny because the only person that I really spoke to when I was writing my book I was Henry Rollins. And, uh, I, and I was like, yeah, I'm working on this book. I'm almost done. And, and what he said to me turned out to be really great advice. He was like, dude, you know, he was like, well, he didn't say dude, first of all. <laughs> I don't want to misquote. I don't want to misquote my man, Henry. Right. But, he, but he, he basically said, uh, <laughs> he said, take your time with him. Don't rush. Don't rush to try to finish it because uh, it's got to be organic. You know, you're in no rush to hurry to put this thing out. And um, he was right because it, it, I, it, it needed that time to turn into what it turned into. And it's really fucking ironic that the book was actually done. I was ready to deliver the motherfucker. And Webster Hall happened. And then I had no choice but to write another chapter. Right. And that wound up being the beginning and basically, yeah, you know. Because once that shit went down, I was like, when we were doing the edits and this and that. And I was like, well, now I obviously got to write another book. I've just been to fucking Rikers Island and everything else. This has got to go in. <coughs> and then, um, and uh, so in the final editing process I remember thinking to myself you know when you send out demo tapes to the A&R people you want to make sure that the first thing they fucking hear is something that really punches them right in the face something something that makes them want to listen to not just the rest of the song but the next song so I was like what's the most impactful fucking insane shit to start this off with and I was like yo I just was all over the fucking news in like all over the world for this shit this has got to start the book um, another thing about the book, um, Anthony Bourdain yeah, is right on the cover oh, dude, yeah. as a, guy, as a, like a quote. Yeah, man. Yeah. How, how did you get him? And also, That's were there other, right were there now. other big people's names, like big high profile names we'll that were? It. All right. So, you know, Henry gave me my first bit of advice. The only other person who gave me writing advice on this thing was Bourdain. So, um... I remember before we were done with the final edit, we were done. With, uh, 
I uh, I became friends with him because, as it turns out, he saw me play when I was a kid back in the, in the day right. with the stimulators yeah, and shit. Like yeah, yeah, you know exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and as it turned out, we had a lot of mutual uh, friends from back then. And um, you know, I'm a jujitsu instructor, and I knew his wife through jujitsu, and I actually was teaching his daughter, and that's how I got to know him. And then one day he told me that he remembered me from back then i was like oh shit you know so we you know we became friendly and um you know we just he was really nice really cool guy and one day on a whim i said yo you know i really like your the way you write and i, I you know you're, you're I, I love your show man i got the first, would you mind taking a look at the first few chapters of my book and just get tell me what you think and he's like, sure, man, no problem. Give me however much of it you feel comfortable giving me. So I gave him, like, the first six chapters. He read it, and he got back to me, and he said, I think this is a really great book. I, I think it has the potential to be a movie. I think two of the characters that you need to bring into the book more are your mother and your Aunt Denise, because I think these are two really amazing characters that influenced your life in, in a tremendous way and your Aunt Denise uh, it, it influenced so many people by being who she is and they were both around so many uh, fascinating and amazing things. And um, that really was really needed advice because I had actually, and another thing he said to me, don't, you know, I told him, I was like, you know, you got kids, man. I'm holding a lot of shit back because I don't want my kids to be like, damn, dad, really? You know, you had to put this shit out there for everybody to read, you know? Really? You know, I don't want them to be humiliated or be embarrassed or whatever. You know, and um, and he was like, you know what, man? All that shit is out there. You know, if people want to know about this or know about that, <laughs> all they got to do is, like, Google or, or whatever, or, you know? You, yeah, exactly, and that's and that's what made me think too. It's like they'll get not only will they get the information, but they'll get someone else's version of it, which is more likely going to be tainted with whatever their opinion of me is. So you know, he was like, "Don't pull any punches, and don't be ashamed of shit." So between him telling me, you know, put more about your mom and your aunt in there and, and don't be ashamed of shit and don't pull no punches. So I went back and I fucking, I, I put a lot of stuff in there that was really painful for me. You know, a lot of my experiences with my mother that were really hard for me. You know, it, it's hard to deal with an alcoholic parent, you know. It, it just saying it makes me sad, you know. It, it's, uh, but, you know, God bless that she got sober, was sober for... 20 years until she died you know just a couple of years ago and uh and um you know it was hard for me to talk about a lot of that stuff and then to talk about my father and how he died and stuff this was a lot of really personal painful things but um i, I think that i it was stuff I, I not just needed to get off my chest but uh it also makes for a really powerful book and um you know, and, and thank God me and my mom became really close again towards the end of her life. And uh, there was a long time where we didn't really speak. So it was all really part of a, of a cleansing, you know. Um, 
the, the great thing about this book is how you did uh, talk about that part of your life and show that side of you. Because for someone like me, who kind of looked up to you and, and was a fan of your music, <clears throat> my impression of you is... Um, <laughs> When you're walking towards the camera in the We Gotta Know video, and you've got this face like, I'm, I'm just gonna kill you, guys. <laughs> and and to me, I was like, if I can encapsulate that and put it on my version on stage, like, I, I mean, I think I'm halfway there. Then I'll right. then I'll learn guitar. <laughs> and so. Yeah, you got to start with the attitude. Attitude is always the most important thing. Then you there's know? another you can have shot. All the skill in the world, but if you got no attitude, it's gonna suck. You know. There's a shot of like I think it's Doug in the car, and you're listening oh, to yeah, yeah. Paul Walkman, and they pan over to Doug, and you're like, you you, you like photobomb the, the moment, and I'm thinking, this guy is like the craziest guy, and I don't even. I, you could just tell by like just these two two minutes of the, this video that you know, and then I read the book, you know, because I only knew the music. Yeah. I read the book, and I'm like, yeah, that's that. Those two moments in the video, that's that's that makes it's like he's not even like putting this shit on. Well, that's the funny shit is like you know I was really always just fucking around and goofing around. Like you know whenever I'm mugging for the camera and all that shit, it's, it really started because I used to be really self conscious about standing there with. Photography. Is like okay, guys. You know, you know. Especially when we started doing like the, all that, when crossover started happening, and it was like all of a sudden you got like Gene Ambo and this and that guy. You know, like people taking pictures of you, and they're like, okay, guys. You know, and you're just like, what are you supposed to do? Like, okay, let's all stand here and cross our arms. You know, like what? You know, it's really kind of an uncomfortable place. So I just started going like, Bleh, making crazy faces, and the more I did it, the more the photographers were like, yeah, yeah, more of that. Yeah, do that. Yeah, now we're going. All right. You know, so I just, you know, to me, it was just my way of like taking a, a embarrassing and somewhat humiliating part of my job and making it, you know, less un, uh, but, uncomfortable. But for me, watching all that at home when I was like a yeah, kid, no. I was like, all right, no, look, man, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm a fucking Muppet. <laughs> you know, what do you want from me? I'm like, you know, I'm a fucking freak, you know. Um, but that, but knowing that, like seeing that side of you, that's my first impression of you. And then reading the book and, and reading some of the more kind of um, softer emotional sides of your life yeah. and of your character. Uh, I think it was very brave. Especially in this scene of hardcore, where it's really a lot of chest beating yeah, and a real, it is. It's you know, a bunch of fucking chest beating, posturing bullshit. Most of these motherfuckers have ever really looked death in the eye. You know, it's like most of these fucking chumps. You know, if they've ever had a fight, it's been five of them beating up one person. You know, it's, it hasn't been one of them fighting five people. You know, then come talk to me. <laughs> you know, and you know, I mean, honestly, you know. I thought I was grown and smart and everything when I was in my 20s. When I got to my 30s, I realized I didn't know shit in my 20s. You know, and then I got to my 40s and I realized I didn't know fucking jack shit in my 30s. You know, now I'm fucking 50 and I'm like, you know, and things are just starting to make a little bit of sense. You know, I'm like, wow, okay, you know. Because I know what life is and what it means. And it's like, I'm like, really? Don't you guys realize how fucking lucky you are that 
30 years after that fucking album, people even know who the fuck you are? I mean, you should be, like, humbled by that shit, not, like, full of yourself. You should be like, damn, man, we really meant something to a lot of people. Like, we really owe it to ourselves and to those people to, like, put this bullshit aside. Because, like, if we could do that, so many people would be so happy. So many people who never saw us would be so fucking happy. So many people that did see us would fucking come out of their fucking houses with their gray hair and their fucking walkers to see us again i mean it would really change something to me it would be a, such a beautiful statement that a bunch of motherfuckers who had nothing but fucking beef with each other could actually say you know fuck that life is too short and too precious and who cares but you know what everybody has faults nobody's faultless I can acknowledge that I've said a lot of fucking stupid and dumb shit and I've talked shit about John in the past and this and that, whatever, man. At some point, you got to say, you know what? Who cares? You know? And if all those motherfuckers would come and sit down and have a talk, my doors are open. They've always been open. I'm not the one who's, who can't get past myself. You know, that's what I think it really comes down to is you have to learn how to get past yourself. You have to get past your own fucking ego, your own pride, your own arrogance. And then you can start talking like a fucking person. So you know what? I'm out here playing with fucking three fucking great guys. Gary Sullivan, my drummer, he played with the Chromex actually longer than Mackie did. Gabby Abularash, he fucking played on Chromex records. So I actually have more guys from the... If you want to break it down, I got more guys who actually played in the Chrome Eggs in my band. And my man Artie, Alexander, my new guitarist, he's a fucking great guy. And, uh, you know, so I got, I got a really solid guy, uh, group of guys who are all really happy to be out and playing. And nobody has a fucking ego and nobody's out here thinking that they're fucking better than anybody, you know. It, it, so, you know, I'm, I'm happy, but I would be really happy to be able to, to bring the Chrome Eggs back together for the fans if it was possible. Maybe it's just personal and I'm projecting a lot, but I really identified with how you presented yourself on stage and like I said earlier, just how you presented yourself in photos and just everything about how you presented yourself. For me, only me particularly, I can speak for, I connected and identified with it. I could identify with what you were um, emitting, the rage, the anger, but also like you said like you're like a muppet and i can identify with that too like i can identify with like like someone who can I mug with and pride by the way motherfucker same with me i did no disrespect ultimate respect because you know i i i really took a lot from you from a different like musical but non-musical as well and when i was leading up to talking to you i realized that i'm like wait a minute like i I'm doing. I'm channeling Harley in like half the fucking photos we take. You know, it's funny because I I remember the day I realized that I was channeling a lot of Chuck Dukowski and I didn't even know it. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm like, okay, I because I always knew that I he have. Wasn't exactly a, a no, not my, Well, neither am I. I mean, oh, no, you know, I mean, no. it's just like you know, we're we're we just spaz out. It's just right. that under the the uh, uh, 
unafraid to fucking grind that just like fucking getting you know you see the dude here today with the make Harley and yeah, JJ yeah. hat friends, and then he got this kid got a hat that says make Harley and JJ friends again. Yo, he he posted that shit online. I wrote him. I was like, dude, you gotta send me one of those. Yeah, nah, you know what? I think it's no. I think people gotta get past that shit. I think people gotta stop making it their fucking business. You know? No, it's, yeah. I, I think people. Yeah. No, no, no. I know. But you know what the problem is? Is there's a lot of people who feel like they need to take sides and shit. And I'm like, you know what? The whole world needs to fucking. Uh, mind their fucking own shit Like if it's not your beef Let the motherfuckers who have that beef sort it out Or or or, or be a fucking real friend And talk sense to both of them Be a fucking meteor Don't be like one of these fucking little bitch ass groupies Who wants to like fucking Oh yeah fuck him It's like yo man all y'all motherfuckers grow up man Fucking be men you know, people think I'm out of my mind. Yeah, I was out of my mind. Yeah, I still am out of my mind. But I'm also a reasonable fucking dude. You know, and you can talk to me. I'm not. Well, if I can vouch for you, 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 we kind of. I met you. You were really cool with me, and then I introduced myself. You yeah, didn't know who I was. Fuck, you know, I was talking we to We exchanged shit. emails, but first I it was in the handshake. Weirdo standing in front of the club. <laughs> then you smiled, and I was like, "Hey, what's up, dude?" Yeah. So I mean, there's yeah, there's there's yeah, I can vouch for it. But I mean, fuck, man, we've been going. A yeah, long we time. better shut the fuck up, man. This thing's gonna be endless, bro. But Harley, man, I just want to say. Um, like, I met Ian, I met Henry. Ian, those two of, my, I, two of my fucking best guys right there. I love both of those dudes. Both those guys. Solid in the, people. In their own way, uh, I walked away uh, really happy that I met them because I, I kind of had them on yeah, a certain man. level. And, and they deserve to be. Meeting you tonight and talking to you and everything, same oh, walk walk Brother away. Man, thank you so much, Thank you man. so much, man. And, and you know what? The, the, I'm I'm proud. I'm honored to to be on your show, and and that I have, like I said, the fact that my music and that I have been a part of your life, man. I'm, I'm very humbled by it. It's not. I'm not gonna walk away with a big head. I'm walk away a little shorter than I already am. <laughs> well, I told our bass player JC uh, that I'm, I might be able to talk to you. So we were all just like in practice. We were just like fucking around. I go, hey, by the way. I think I might get Harley on the podcast. He stopped what he's doing. He's like, what? He stopped. <laughs> all right. So, yeah, right. it's a big deal for all, right, all well, of us. Yo, man, it, it's, it's been great, you. man. And, and, and you, man. I, I, hopefully so one day our bands can do something together, oh, you know? shit. Um, and to be on Feral House together with you. Yeah, man. Uh, if, fuck, Good that's, luck with that. Man, with that, you know? I, I always lead with that going. Right on, man. Yeah. Uh, same imprint as Hardcore Harley Flanagan's <laughs> book, you know? So, yeah. Yes, it's not self-published. And by the way I don't care what anybody eats Just be good to each other Be good to the world And that's all that matters Cool man, thanks Harley